The Grazadillo School of Business and Management at Pepperdine University proudly presents the Dean's Executive Leadership Series. This podcast invites top business practitioners and thought leaders to share their view on the real world of business. take just a few minutes to do a little Q&A and I think I'm going to turn it directly over to the audience in just a minute but uh, we're going to have to get some of those university ads at Pepperdine. Okay. I'm going to have to think about that. Yeah we should have clipped out the UCLA piece shouldn't we? Yeah. yeah. That's okay. No John Tyler Drive at UCLA? No. no. And I will also brag a little bit because I believe that one of your board members for Farmers University is Mark one Allen. of our faculty members, Mark Allen. So we're really pleased to have that connection you know, as Mark, well. Yeah, Mark's on our Board of Regents, which we established with the University of Farmers to get real life educators to come in and, mm -hmm. and discuss uh, uh, the professionalism of the curriculum, uh, as well as bring in people who are on the front lines, et cetera. And Mark's, uh, Mark's been a tremendous asset to us and probably the biggest cheerleader in the crowd when we got, did I mention number one in the world? Did I? <laughs> Wanted to make sure you didn't miss that part. Right. Well, I want to go straight to the audience for questions, but uh, what would you like to hear from Paul or follow up on any of the things that he talked about? Yes. Uh, hi, um, nice to meet you. My name is Ruby Zhang. Actually, I just started as an intern last month uh, at Farmers. I work at the West Lake Village Lake Finance. And I'm happy to be here. And I, uh, I know our company's goal is to double the business by 2020. So I want to ask what are the key factors you think we will work on to double our business by in eight years? Anybody want to take that? Such a, <laughs> it's a piece of cake. Um, personally, I'm going to retire and let the real pros take over. But uh, no, I, first of all, congratulations on joining Farmers and very pleased to have you on board. Um, uh, yes, we do have a strategic objective by 2020 to double the size of our growth and to move from the number three position uh, to pass all state and uh, number two. And a lot of people would say, well, I can't believe you're that bold about it. Well, of course, we're going to be that bold about it. Um, it's back to that team confidence thing. Sometimes we have to believe in ourselves uh, or ask people. Uh, we need to believe in people more than they believe in themselves. So what we're going to do to get there is um, really focus on our core. We will not get there through future acquisitions. Our acquisition was very successful with 21st Century from AIG, giving us a direct arm now into the segment of the population that wants to buy direct. But that also gave us a tremendous mechanism because um, our direct operations a little different. If you buy direct from Geico or Progressive, that's kind of the end of the play. But Farmers has a direct auto wing with 21st Century. But for those customers that don't buy from us or only buy, buy, buy auto, then the Farmers agent steps in and does the rest of the cross-sell. So we will uh, be able to double the size with a few key things. Number one, we'll do it through the Farmers agents because the Farmers agents are the core of our future. And of all the growth that we've enjoyed thus far, to be perfectly honest, and some of the agents in the world would, would tell you this, the growth hasn't come from the core farmers' agents as much as it has from the acquisitions. We needed that additional revenue to be able to go from a $15 million advertising budget to a $350 million advertising budget and strategically be ready for the changing buying habits of, of, of the consumers uh, going forward. So by expanding our farmers' agents to the 50% of the population that can't access a farmers' agent today, that alone will bring forth a lot of the growth. The other thing that we'll do better than we've done before is serve our customers better. Uh, to be perfectly honest, one of the things we are not pleased with is where we sit in the rankings with J.D. Powers and the other consumer uh, uh, magazines or researchers regarding the quality of our service. 
Um, we think the quality of our service is much better than shows on a lot of the reports. Most of the reports, I don't want to sound like a professional loser and make excuses, most of them are dated about three years, et cetera. I could go on the whole list of other things. Uh, before we had a solution, I had to come up with all these excuses with no answer. So <laughs> we have invested heavily, very heavily in new billing systems, in new technology systems, so our agent who's in front of the customer can have the same conversation with someone in our customer service efforts uh, as well. So building off the farmer's agents in our core territory, expanding the farmer's agents into the eastern coast, and tremendously improving the service uh, so that our retention improves and we lose less customers, just those things alone will accomplish our objective. Not that they're easy, but, but we will do them. Yes. Hi, my name is Tom The question to you is, do you have a unique definition and practice of leadership? So how have you disseminated this concept, this way of leadership, across a large organization like farmers? By spending an inordinate amount of time working on um, right people in the right jobs. Everyone brings a different leadership style um, to, to bear. And you should never try to be a leader you're not. It should start with who you are. I have never been one who felt that I was the smartest in the room. I have never been one that felt that I could do it alone. I have always felt that the most effective teams are the teams where the leader really supports distributed leadership. But distributed leadership is more than just saying you're in charge or you're accountable. People really have to be in charge and accountable, but also know the person at the top has their tail, if you will, if they try and fail. And I think part of the challenge of leaders that I've seen in the past, and to be perfectly honest, it was that way at farmers for decades, because autocratic leadership styles were so prevalent, especially in the post-World War II era, um, that they were leaders of one, or, or decision makers of one. And I worked for people where I had very fancy titles, but I never really felt I had the accountability, and I was always fearful of, of failing. And, and we've tried to create an environment of distributed leadership where we celebrate successes, but we don't kill people for failures, uh, so that they feel supported to get up and try and try again. So I guess those key words of distributed leadership and distributed accountability and compassion is as close as I could get to that answer. Have you done most of your work on leadership development by bringing people up through the organization versus bringing people from outside? You obviously came up through the organization and spent your entire career there, but what's the philosophy at Farmers in Zurich in that regard? I've done a little bit of both. Um, growing up at Farmers, we always prided ourselves on we always uh, promoted from within. Mm -hmm. I'll be honest with you, there, there's a, that, that's extremely good for the culture, but it's like anything else, too much of a good thing could be bad. Mm -hmm. And we sometimes found ourselves with not the level of competency in some of the roles that we needed to have. So we try to strike a balance between finding the very, very best people in the industry and the very, very best people in our company and try to create a mix of, of who we bring in. And I'm always extremely, extremely conscious of, of that blend so that it doesn't appear that the company's being overtaken by people from the outside or that if you come in from the outside you can't get ahead because you're not a 25 or a 30 year uh, person, person with farmers. 
But our philosophy uh, is that uh, at Zurich Annet Farmers, that we always look for the best qualified candidate internally mm -hmm. first. Mm -hmm. And then we objectively, with that uh, honest uh, side up there, um, we take the decision whether or not how this person really stacks up to the best of the brands in the marketplace. If there's a gap, we go outside. Mm -hmm. If there's not a gap, we stay with the person inside. Fortunately, we're a large organization and we have an opportunity to kind of know where the market's going. Mm -hmm. And so we can anticipate pretty heavily what the needs are going to be going forward. Uh, and we can backfill those accordingly. To close with this, I guess if someone were to say, what's the thing I'm the most proud of through all this? It's the fact that the leadership team that we assembled back in 2004 and 2005 let me just put it this way. Everyone who we still want to be with the organization and that leadership team are still here. They haven't left. And uh, you know, that, uh, I think that really speaks about the culture. And if people want to be here because they can win and prosper, they bring in uh, like kind and quality. I do believe water seeks its own level. And then finally, um, it's really important that when you're in the workplace, you make sure you only hire nines not sevens and eights. What does that mean? Well, if you look at someone's overall quality from a zero being low and a 10 being high, it's really important that you hire nines because nines have the courage to hire nines and tens. Eights won't. Eights won't. Eights don't want to have to compete with who they're hiring. Nines and tens are confident enough in themselves and they're enough team players they want to win. They'll bring you more nines and tens. So when I'm looking for people, no eights on my team. All nines and tens, and all nines and tens. Good. Yes. You said your company was very autocratic. Yes, sir. Uh, when they made you the head of the company, and you knew the culture of your company had to change, did you have a bunch of people you conferred with, or do you have ideas yourself? It's a great, it's a great question, <clears throat> Mr. West, and I think the answer is a little bit of both, you know, like, like so many things, but what I really had to do was to divorce myself from most of the things I already knew at Farmers, because I was, in essence, self-admittedly part of the problem. You know, I, I put the charts up there and saying that we hadn't grown in 10 years. Well, guess who was in charge of growth those 10 years? <laughs> Me. So I recognized that the organization wouldn't continue to run well if it all ran through a single person or a single office. So I had to go out and redefine my relationship with most of the key people and let them know that it's going to be very, very different. That it is going to be distributed leadership. It will not be a leadership of one. And while you might think you like that, don't think for a second, you're really not accountable now because someone else is taking all your decisions for you anyway. When we go to distributed leadership, you'll have the power, you'll have the authority, but you'll also have the accountability that goes with that. So this was really a learning process for me and I had to really reinvent myself. And as you know, after having led so many great organizations, when you're at the top, there's not a lot of people to talk to. So I took on board a couple of very special people who had uh, kind of been there, done that, into confidence, and they actually helped me create my first leadership team. 
and set forth what my first 90 days in office would be like and then what our strategic goals should be. You know, I think one of the things as I listened to you talk, and as you shared your story even and even shared what you just did, I mean, one of the qualities that you didn't talk about in your list of leadership skills, but I think that you clearly have exhibited is a sense of humility and knowing what you can do and what you can't do and being willing to admit when you've made mistakes. So how, how do you see that in others that work with you? Because clearly it appears to be one of the things for you that's important in your leadership profile. You know, it, it's very important. I mean, it's very important because, again, the, our organization had gotten to a point um, that you couldn't be critical of the organization. I mean, it was just terrible. I mean, we were losing business, we had huge issues, and we'd sit around a table. And you would have to spend five minutes before you made a critical comment by starting with this prelude of, I don't mean to be critical. And you know I love this company more than anybody else. <laughs> and then after about five minutes of syrup, you finally got to this one little watered down nugget that says, oh, by the way, our rates stink, <laughs> or something of that nature. Right. So we tried to create an environment. Um, I know a lot of my colleagues are sitting in the audience saying, boy, I didn't realize things improved this much, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> maybe Hop shine in this story a little too much. But, but we certainly did, uh, right from the get-go. Um, we used to have, um, watch my language at this fine institution, bit sessions, where I would invite people in to tell me what the heck was wrong with the company and, and to do it with some passion so that we could get used to saying, we're not very good at this. Now, we still don't have an appetite for skepticism, mm -hmm. but we have a very strong appetite in a culture that invites challenge and constructive criticism. And um, so that was something that I tried to bring in because I knew just how subdued it was. Right. And it was such a necessary part of this whole notion of distributed leadership. Great. Probably have time for one more question from the audience back here. With all these natural disasters that are going on in the world, what keeps you up at night? Those teenagers at home. Uh, you know what? You stole, you stole my line. I, you, you did hear me say I have a 19-year-old and an 18-year-old, didn't you? Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's really that. The natural disasters uh, don't keep me up because of concerns financially. Uh, trust me, if, if, if a disaster of the proportion that would take out an organization our size and, and some of our competitors, it would become a societal issue, so, uh, very similar to what you're seeing in Japan more than the solvency of any individual company. You know, this, this answer isn't going to seem very satisfying to you, uh, but, but it is really what keeps me up at, at night as it relates to the insurance business. Uh, it's, the, um, it's the increased regulation that we're seeing. And um, gosh, I, I, you know, I have a tremendous amount of respect for public servants, even when I don't agree with them, <laughs> because they're out there doing work that I feel like I ought to be doing too, but I, I just haven't ever gone in that direction in my life. But insurance customers pay a lot more for insurance than they need to pay today because we have such a cumbersome system of over 50 regulators and every time we want to introduce a new product it has to be introduced and approved by 50 different state insurance departments across across the land so we have supported for years just like the banks have a choice between an optional federal charter uh, or continue to be uh, governed uh, by by the state system because of the crises that erupted and because it was triggered by AIG, the then largest insurance company in the world. No one wants to look at the fact it wasn't an insurance product. Uh, they just know it was a major insurance company. So the, the ability for the insurance industry to escape the systemic risk designation 
uh, is, is pretty low. We will probably most assuredly, us and the other top 10 insurers in, in the country, uh, will be sucked into this with the banks as well. It's meant to be bank regulation. So you're going to take regulation that spreads over the insurance industry with people that there's never been a federal regulator, so they really don't understand the market. We'll now have three federal regulators, one with voting power, that'll sit on the uh, Financial Stability Oversight Committee. There is no doubt it's going to be a real struggle over the next four or five years as there's a turf war between who's really going to regulate the insurance companies. Will it be the feds? Will it be the state level? And, um, and, and unfortunately, I think the reality is it will be both. And so the bureaucracy, I think, will only increase, which will drive more costs ultimately through to the consumer, but it'll also hamper our ability to really nail the real customer experience we think we're capable of delivering. So that bothers me a lot. That's a, that's a big part of what I do today is spend time in Washington to try to educate the right people on those topics. Uh, but it is very political and the chances of a major insurance company escaping a systemic risk designation after AIG allegedly caused all this, not allegedly, they, they, they did trigger a big part of it, uh, I, I think is uh, very, very unlikely. And that is what bothers me because I think we have an incredible industry made up of bright, caring, professional people like the ones you saw on that screen. And unfortunately, by the time the regulations are done and the premiums go up, and the bureaucracy gets deeper, it will only diminish or hurt the reputation of the people that work in the insurance industry rather than help it. That really bothers me. And so that's what keeps you up at night. What gets you up in the morning and gets you excited about going to work? Um, I the, want to end on a positive note here. The people, the, <laughs> you know, insurance business this time of year going into hurricane season and you're asking for a positive <laughs> note now. That, that's almost like really thinking I would do a 15 minute presentation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's always wishful thinking. Absolutely. What, what, um, what really excites me every day is the people that I work with and especially the newer people that I work with. Um, look, I'm the luckiest guy on the planet. I've, I'm healthy, I've got a healthy family, uh, I've got a gold-plated uh, career, and I work for a company that I absolutely love and the people in it. So <clears throat> time is coming soon for me to retire and I can look back on this and know in the future that the leadership of the company is great uh, and that the future is very bright because we've been able to attract some of the best people in the industry to our organization and we've been able to create an environment for them to be just as successful as they can be. So what do I get excited about? I get excited about going in and seeing Mark Tui, who I office with, or Vicki Gaither, uh, who I work with, and a lot of the people in this room who I've had the opportunity to work with for nearly 30 years. Thank you. Was that so positive? Much. Enough? It was great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. So I want us to sit. We got to sit for just one second. We got a couple of things we need to do here quickly. Uh, before I do this, I do also so do I. want to introduce Rich Gudas, who is with us in the audience. And Rich is with Herbalife. He's the chief marketing officer, and he's going to actually be one of our speakers for. Uh, Dell's next year. So we have one of our speakers for next year. So thank you so much for being here. We have a special gift for you. Oh, that's beautiful. That you can put on your wall and remind thank you of your time with us here tonight. So we appreciate that. Thank you very that. much. That's very kind of you. Thank you very much. And I'm going to ask Mr. West to come forward. He has actually a special presentation he would like to make as well. And he has Pepperdine Connections. His wife is a Pepperdine alum and he has a son 
that uh, has two degrees from Pepperdine, including an MBA, correct? Yes, yes. Fabulous. So, you know, I, I would like, if you don't mind, I, I don't want to rain on his parade, but, um, you know, I've had an opportunity in my life to um, listen to a lot of talks like this. Um, here's a man, um, first time I've met you, Paul, uh, one of the most impressive presentations I've ever heard in my life. Um, <laughs> The most difficult thing in the world is to find people who want to lead. Some people lead so easily. How would you like to work for someone like him? Life is lonely at the top. Very lonely. And the things that uh, I hear you talk about tonight are so many of the things I really believe in. I believe in people a lot. You know, you're talking about, I will to make it real quick, this will be real quick. You know, we get, in professional basketball, you can get people who have genius IQs that cannot remember an out-of-bounds play. <laughs> you can get someone who can't write his name, he remembers everything. But I think there's one common thread that goes between all people who like to compete. There's a fierce desire to compete in Excel. And that's why I think goals are so important. They create energy and enthusiasm. And you have done that for your company. Um, I've been out four nights in a row. <clears throat> and <clears throat> this was kind of a surprise for me to come out here tonight. But um, I'm so happy I came because I know why your company's successful. It's because a lot of people like you and your lieutenants who echoes the very same things that you do. But as I say, I've heard a lot of people speak, but my goodness, uh, when you come from big communities, you know, you have a simplistic approach to life. I came from one of 500 people. <laughs> so you grew up in metropolis Absolutely. as compared to me. <laughs> but uh, this truly was an inspiring evening for me and for the people who work for this man. You ought to go home and thank your lucky stars that you work with someone who's as capable, but more importantly, who is so giving. Thank you, and I do have something for you here. Um, I have no idea. I don't think this will fit. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, that's fantastic. Thank you very much. And you are taller than you are. <laughs> oh my God. You know, you say you're going to retire, right? Well, you can go out and do this for a living. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I heard Phil might retire. I'd love to coach the Lakers. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Paul, thank you so Thank you. Much. Thank you very much. Thank you all so, so much for being here. What a special evening it was, and I'm so glad that you were able to be a part of it. We hope you'll join us again for our last event of the year at Sony Pictures, but have a wonderful and safe drive home. Thank you. Thank you.